Good morning. Everybody okay? You guys good? All right. Thanks. Everybody's pumped. Excited to be here. Good. Good deal. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, we are continuing to work through 1 Samuel. If you're new here, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible, going through an Old Testament book, which I, I find exciting and interesting. I hope you guys have found it that way as well. And um, we're about two-thirds of the way through. Last week, we did chapter 20, and here's where we've been. We've been focusing primarily, the, the whole book is primarily focused on three different individuals. Uh, Samuel, the prophet, right, who wrote this book and, and more than likely wrote this book, and he was kind of the linchpin to a lot of things in this book. Uh, Saul, who was the first king of the Jewish people, and then David, who was going to be the second king of the Jewish people and whom Saul hates greatly. Uh, doesn't like him very much at all. Last week, we were talking about another individual who is very, very important, and we don't see a lot of him in the book of 1 Samuel or in the Bible in general, um, but he's very pivotal in, in his relationship with David, and that is Jonathan, which happens to be, ironically, Saul's son, and he and David are extremely close. And in chapter 20, we see kind of a scheme, and we're going to use that word a couple of times today. We see a scheme that Jonathan and David come up with to, to once and for all learn the true motives of Saul. And they do that in chapter 20. And um, you can go back and watch that or you can go back and, and read that chapter. It's not overtly complicated. But, but what that brings up is the fact that Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. He was a prince, right? His dad was the king. But Jonathan relents his position, his inheritance of the throne. He, he, he gives that up because it is not God's will for him to be king. It's, it's God's will for David to be king. And so what we see in Jonathan is we see honor, we see integrity, faithfulness, love, and we see this man that is, that is a, a really great example of, of moral character, right? Character, this word that we don't talk about enough, I think, in our modern day times. And what we also see from this is at the end of this chapter, there is a, a, a chapter 20, there is, is a, an oath between David's family and Jonathan's family, and so they legal, leave a, a, a legacy, and it's not necessarily a legacy about them, it's a legacy that honors, honors God, and it trickles down from generations. So we talked about legacy too, again, something that I don't think we think about enough in our modern day culture. So where we're at though right now is David is on the run, and David's gonna be on the run for quite some time, and if you've ever read the book of Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are written about David when he was during this time, written from David about his time when he's running from his, uh, for his life from Saul. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We're going to do chapter 21 and just a little bit of chapter 22 because it works together pretty well. It's very, very short today. But what we're going to talk about today is we're going to, we're going to talk about trusting God in all situations. And what we're going to see is though David is a, is a man after God's own heart, when the pressure was put on David, he didn't always make good decisions. And I think that's why a lot of us like David, because <laughs> um, David was a man that, that, that overall wanted to be righteous. He wanted to be good, but he also did stupid things. And I think we identify with him because we do stupid things, even when we have good intentions sometimes. And so we're going to see that a little bit today. But hopefully, here's what's so important about reading historical Old Testament books is there's not a ton of theology. There is some theology in the Old Testament, but a lot of it is history. But history is important as well because we read history and we see what people did and a lot of times see what people did incorrectly. 
And hopefully we will read that and go, wow, that didn't work out very well for them. I shouldn't do it like that, right? And so today is one of those lessons. Well, David was a pretty good dude, but did some stupid things. We're gonna talk about at least three of them today. And so maybe we should learn from that and learn to trust God when the pressure is put on us. And not just that, that we are not to just to learn to trust God, we are to teach others and help others learn to trust God. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today towards the end of the lesson. Can you tell that's a sword? No. You're the fourth of five services and no one has said yes. I did the best I could and I, I have this hope that when we, you know, I put up some artsy kind of, you know, ambiguous picture and then when we read the part, you're like, oh, it's a sword, brilliant. Corey's so smart, but um, it's not working this week, so that's okay. But a uh, very cinematic chapter that we're gonna read today. There are some parts in it that, I mean, it, it looks like a movie plot. It is just amazing. And one of that has to do with Goliath's sword that we're gonna talk about just in this first section. So very interesting stuff. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything is in there. Everything will be on the, the screen with the obvious sword on it right now. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're in the uh, Old Testament we're in the book of 1 Samuel. We'll do chapter 21. We'll do a little bit of chapter 22. And uh, if you don't have any of those things, if you get the Experience Community app, just click on sermon notes and you should be in good shape. Okay? All right, cool. Let's pray. Let's get into this. I hope you find it interesting. We'll get through it relatively quick. And we're going to talk a little, bit about, uh, a little bit about communion just at the end of service, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for everyone in this room this morning. Thank you, God, that people make it a priority to come out. God, it's a busy time of year. And I thank you, Lord, that people come out and that they hear your word and they worship and they're in community and uh, that they value church, God. Lord, it's important. God, I pray that you keep your hand on us this morning, not just this church. Pray that you keep your hand on every church in our community. Pray, God, that you keep your hand on our other campuses and the churches in those communities. And I just pray that everything we do today, God, that it honors you, brings us closer to you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, David is on the run. We pick up as he is fleeing from Saul, okay? David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered the priest Ahimelech, the king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I've stationed my young men at a certain place. Now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. Let me pause right there. So there was certain bread that was made in the temple for the priests. It was, it was consecrated, set aside for, for holy, holy people, right? And so he goes in, David goes into town, says, hey, give me some bread. The priest goes, I have bread. It's the consecrated bread. And he says, you guys can only have it if you have been living sinless, if, if, if you haven't uh, been sexually impure, okay? So that's what that means. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us uh, always when I go into battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except for the bread of the presence, that's that consecrated bread, that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. One of Saul's servants 
detained before the Lord, was there that day. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapons since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There is none like it, David said. Give it to me. Does that not sound like a movie, right? David, the giant killer, rolls into town. He needs some food, needs some provisions. Says, do you happen to have any weapons? And he goes, oh, we do. We have one sword from Goliath, the giant that you killed in the valley. I mean, that's epic. That's pretty amazing, okay? So David had no choice but to run from Saul. We saw this in the last chapter. This time of David's life, which is a pretty pivotal time in his life that we're gonna read a lot about and that a lot of the book of Psalms is written about, is often compared to the wilderness time of the Jews when they left Egypt on their way to the promised land. Now, something in Christianity that you'll hear a lot of Christians say is we have wilderness experiences, right? Wilderness times, times when we feel like we're alone, times when we we feel like we're running, when we're scared, when things are uncertain, when there is pressure on us. Now, here's the thing we have to know as Christians, if you're a Christian here, and if you're not, this is what you need to know about Christianity. God has good things in store for his people, but oftentimes to get to those good things, we have to go through adversity. This is why the Bible says that we are, uh, we are purified as if going through a fire, right? The only way to get pure gold is to heat it up to extreme temperatures to bring all the impurities out of it. Uh, one of the lessons of life, it's not a fun lesson, but it's a lesson nonetheless, is that we cannot grow in wisdom, we cannot grow in experience, we cannot grow in character, we, we, we cannot grow in a lot of things. We can't learn to be faithful in all seasons unless we go through hard times. This is why whenever you go through a bunch of junk in your life, you don't seek out someone that's never been through anything. Hey man, I'm struggling. I know you've never been through anything. Can you help me? No, that's not what you do. You find someone that's been through something similar and you ask for their wisdom. You ask for their, their, their guidance. So all throughout the Bible, the, the people of the most character go through some pretty tough situations. So David went to an area called Nob, right? He's running for his life. And he went to go meet the priest. He chose this specific area because he knew there was a temple there. It was an active temple with active priests in it. So he knew there would be food. He knew that there would be supplies and, and maybe just possibly he could get a hold of a weapon. So David showed up alone. This kind of made the priest a little nervous. Why are you alone? And then David just flat out lied to the priest. He said, I'm on a mission from the king. That was not true. The king hated him, wanted to kill him. He's not on a mission from the king. Now, some theologians refer to to him saying the king as talking about God, right? Well, he's talking about he was on a mission from God. Well, there is no account of that. Not only that, grammatically, it would be incorrect because king is not capitalized. And if it was referring to God, it would be. So that, that doesn't really make any sense. And what we try to do sometimes is we try to like clean up history sometimes We try to make everyone in the past, especially in the Bible, we try to make them all just look like they were just like squeaky clean individuals, right? They didn't struggle with anything, they were okay. But if you know anything about David, it's just not the case. And so we learn from this. More than likely David lied 
because he was afraid. There was pressure on him. He was in a tough spot. He had the Holy Spirit of God, but he was backed up into a corner. He was afraid. And in that time of fear, he made a poor decision and he lied. So again, what we learn from that or what we're going to learn in the next chapter is that we may get some temporary relief when we tell a lie or we try to scheme, but because uh, uh, mankind's ways always are destined to fail, we may get some temporary relief, but long-term there's gonna be some tragedy. There's gonna be some bad stuff that takes place. And in the end of chapter 22, some really, really, really bad stuff happens because David lied, right? And we'll get to that here in a couple of weeks. So David actually schemes a couple of times. If you were here last weekend, last weekend's whole lesson was essentially a scheme. Now, I'm not saying that that was altogether wrong what they did in chapter 20, but the other two, the other two things that he did seemed pretty blatantly wrong. He lied to a priest. Later on in this chapter, he's gonna lie to the king of Gath. And what it shows us is, is that even though David was a man after God's own heart, there were times when David was weak. He was spiritually weak. And again, his scheming bought him a little bit of time, as we're gonna see, but it's gonna hurt a lot of other people. It's gonna cause some serious damage in the long run, some massive heartache. Now, I said that this chapter was cinematic. I, I have a minor in film studies. If you just want to waste some money, it's, that's a good thing to throw your money at and you get no benefit from it, except for I can talk a lot of movies with people, right? Someone will say, hey, I just watched you know, On the Waterfront, which no one ever says to me. And I can say, well, that's in the AFI top 100 list. They don't know what that is either, but anyways. So, very cinematic chapter. It looks like a movie. You guys are Googling AFI top 100 and On the Waterfront right now. That's okay. Very cinematic chapter. So imagine David goes, he is talking to the priest, and as this scene is going on where he's talking to the priest, there's a guy over here that is listening in. He's eavesdropping on the conversation. Now, this guy, they think, is a mercenary of sorts. He works for Saul. He's in trouble. That's why he was detained by the Lord in this area, because he had done something violent or something bad. We're going to see that he's an extremely awful person in chapter 22. But this guy, Doeg, is here, and he's listening to the whole thing. This is important because eventually he's going to rat David out. You know what this reminds me of? That if we are followers of God, we need to be acutely aware of our surroundings all the time. Do you hear me? You guys are awfully quiet this morning. Acutely aware of our surroundings for a couple of reasons. One, if you have children in here, especially if you have girls, I try to tell my girls all the time, look around the room. Be aware of what's going on around you for safety reasons. Just be aware of what's going on. Hard to be aware when our eyes are glued to phones all the time, right? That's why it's good every once in a while to look up, make sure there's still a world out there around you. Look up and be aware of the room because there might be someone dangerous around you. The other thing that we need to be aware of is if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are always witnessing. We just wanna make sure that we are witnessing correctly. That means if people know that we are Christians and we're acting rude or we're gossiping or we're slandering or we're just being not kind to people, that if people know we're believers, they see that and they go, hmm, if that's Christianity, I don't know if I want a part of that. So we need to be careful because sometimes people, we don't know 
Who is listening into our conversations? Let me give you an example. One time I was at Verizon, this was years ago, the Verizon store, which I, I do not go in unless I absolutely have to. I went into the Verizon store. I was buying a phone for my wife, right? She needed a new phone. So you're going in there, you're spending like 1,200 bucks on a phone. Uh, the person who's selling me, you know, the phone that gets commission from that and all that stuff is talking to me, but this person will not look at me, which drives me insane. They're like, oh, you do this on your phone and you do this and here, you just do that. Just very, very rude and like didn't really want to talk to me very much. And I'm asking questions and she's like, oh, you know, I don't know. You just do this and this. And, and so finally, this is not right. I'm going ahead and confessing this. I finally looked at her and I said, hey, can you get like a manager or someone else? Because I don't like talking to you. I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. That was wrong of me. I'm confessing that to you, right? But I didn't. I didn't care for her. I didn't care for how she was treating me, right? And she goes, oh, yeah, I'll get somebody. So she goes around the corner and out comes the manager who happened to be a guy that just started coming to our church. And he said, oh, hey, pastor, she says that you got a problem. And I was like, yeah. And so... I remember I, I, I bought the phone, I went to Starbucks, I bought a $50 gift card for each of them, told them how sorry I was, right? And the whole point of the story is this, that more than likely that young woman wasn't a believer. Not only am I a believer, I'm a pastor. And I was sitting there acting like this. And sometimes we just don't know who's around us. And we have to be a good witness because you know, we don't just represent ourselves. We represent God. And so again, cinematic, Though David lacked a trust in God in this situation, God was still gracious and God provided a means for David to be protected. How? Via the sword of Goliath. How cool is that? There is none like it, David says. And we learn that God is gracious and God is benevolent even, even when we are not. Even when we lack faith, God is still good. And this is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and all things will be taken care of. Just seek God's kingdom first. Now look, just because God is gracious and good, though, does not give an, ex an excuse to act sinful or foolish. There's way too many professing Christians who hide behind grace as a means of continuing to sin. And the Bible addresses that. Paul addresses that in Romans 6. Should we sin more so grace abounds? No, thank you. No, we don't do that, the Bible says. We don't hide behind grace. Well, God's gracious. He is. And because he's so gracious, that should provoke us to want to be righteous, not to continue to try to get away with sin. Okay? And so we move on to the next part. David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. But Achish's servants said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. David took this to heart and became very afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, around them scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Look, you can see this man is crazy, Achish said to his servants. Why did you bring him to me? Look at this, I love this. Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? <laughs> 
<laughs> is this one going to come into my house? Interesting. So David leaves Nob. He travels west to an area called Gath. And now this was Philistine territory. This was enemy territory. Now, more than likely, the reason David went to that area is he was thinking, well, maybe they won't recognize me there, which I think is a little odd because he killed their most powerful warrior, Goliath. But he's like, maybe they won't recognize me in this area. Unfortunately, David's fame preceded him. Some people saw him and they're like, isn't that the king of the Jewish people? And, and don't people write songs about him? I mean, he was pretty famous. Now, here's what we learn. Huh. When we lack trust and faith in a relationship with God, we typically end up gravitating towards enemy territory, a place that is hostile and a place that's gonna get us in trouble and it's not where we're supposed to be. You guys know what I'm talking about? When we, when we start to lack trust in God, we end up going to places that we shouldn't go. And this is where David found himself. And again, it's gonna lead to more trouble. So ironically, the servants of the king go, isn't he the king of the land? Now, technically, David was not the king of the land. Saul was king of the land. But God was transitioning the authority of the king from Saul, because Saul was evil, to David, because David is righteous, right? We're seeing that he's making some mistakes, but overall, David is a righteous man. So God was preparing David through this adversity not just to be the king of the Jewish people, but to be the king of all of the land of Israel, including the enemy territory, the Philistine territory. And so again, we see this very important principle that good character, good leadership, wisdom is only developed through adversity. It has to come through tough times, right? And so we're seeing David go through this and all of this is gonna work out to make him a fantastic king. So again, David was afraid. It said that he was afraid of the king, Achish. He was afraid of him. So because he was afraid, David concocts another plan, another scheme, and he acts crazy. He acts insane. Now, if you look at the Hebrew for the word of insane there, or insanity, it actually means to act like you are possessed by the devil, to be possessed. So do you find this interesting? A man that has the Holy Spirit of God because he is acting out of fear, is now acting like someone possessed by a different kind of spirit. Very interesting. And the same man who stood in front of a nine-foot-tall giant, almost 10-foot-tall giant, had no fear. The same man that killed a giant in front of two armies is now afraid of a normal man. It says that. He's afraid of Achish. And again, Though he temporarily saves himself, he gets to split town again because they all think he's crazy and he's not a threat, but David compromised his integrity. They think he's crazy now. They think the anointed future king of God is possessed by the devil. So here's what we learn. When we don't trust in God, when we don't trust in the truth of God, that's the word of God, when we don't have a relationship with God, we will eventually compromise our faith, we will eventually compromise our integrity and our truth. We are seeing this in, in Western Christianity at a rate that has, it is unprecedented. Have you guys heard the terminology deconstruction, right? 
There's all these young people who are like, well, I'm just not sure about that. I'm gonna deconstruct my faith, which means I'm letting my faith go for the most part. They're gonna deconstruct it and find that there's no substance to it, according to them, and they walk away from it. When we haven't been committed to the truth of God, when we haven't trusted in God and his word and the truth, we start to compromise because when society puts pressure on us, we don't wanna not be liked or not be accepted. We live in fear of that. I think we live in fear of that more than the fear of death. And we start to compromise things and we start to turn our back on biblical truths and our integrity starts to get deteriorated. Do you know that right now in the world, not percentage-wise, but just numbers. If you take the highest concentration of atheists and, and agnostics in the entire world, China is number one, Japan is number two, the United States is number three in the entire world right now. There are the, the third highest concentration of atheists and, and agnostics in the entire world is right here. It's because we, we have compromised, right? We have not held on to the truth that, quite frankly, that this people group was built on originally. So it is vitally important to remember that God has taken care of us in the past. Listen, David intellectually, I'm sure, intellectually remembered that he had killed a giant, but in his heart and his soul, he had forgotten that by the power of God, he had slayed a giant. And one of the big reasons why a lot of us lack trust in God is we forget about all the dead giants in our past. Do you hear me? That over time, the Christian should have established a reputation in their mind of how good God is. I've been a Christian for 21 years. And if I look back, I'm 44 years old. If I look back over the last 21 years, and some of it I've had to write down, if I look back at all the things God has done, all the places he has brought me from, the addictions that I've been able to overcome, the struggles I've been able to overcome, things with this church and all the provision that God has given me and my family, when I look at the history of God's goodness, when I get in a time when I am afraid, I can come to my senses and go, God, you've never failed me in the past. Why would you fail me right now in the present? God, you've always loved and provided for me in the past. Why would you not do that right now against this giant? And so we need to make sure that we live in the trust and security of God, that he knows what he's doing. I may not see how that giant's gonna fall, but every other giant that I've ever faced, God has taken care of. And we need to remember this, because if we don't, unfortunately, we have become a people. I'm not saying you and I, but us as a society, it's not what have you done for me, it's what have you done for me lately. Even in Christianity, there are people at this church, they're not here at this church any longer. I have helped them get out of bankruptcy. I have given, I, you as a church, we have helped them. They didn't have a car, we'd buy it for them. We've done all kinds of things. And the first time they don't get what they want or, they, or, 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 or something doesn't go the way they like, they're gone, right? It's not about what God has done from them in the past. It's, well, I need this right now. And they leave. And this is not the way we're to act. We need to build the reputation of God's goodness and his integrity in our minds because you're gonna face another giant, guys, okay? So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. When David's brothers and his family, uh, his father's family, heard they went down and joined him there. In addition, Every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented rallied around him, 
and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah of Moab, where he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. So he left them in the care of the king of Moab, and they stayed with him the whole time David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Leave and return to the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now I'm gonna tell you why I stopped there here in a second. So David leaves Gath, because they think he's crazy, so he slipped out. He goes uh, 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 to an area called Adalam, and he stays in a cave. It says his father's whole entire family hears about this. His brothers hear about this. They all join him in the cave. It says, along with every single man who is desperate, in debt, or discontented. So basically, all the outcasts, the fringe of society, knew that they could find community and refuge and security in the house of David, under David's leadership. Now, if you read the entire Bible, there are a lot of parallels between David in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. There are a lot of differences as well. Jesus was the perfect, spotless son of God and God in the flesh. David, obviously not perfect, as we're seeing in this chapter, and we'll we'll see a little bit later on. But there are a lot of parallels. One of them is, is that Jesus's lineage goes through the house of David, right? He comes from the house of David. Now, in this part, we see in the house of David that the, the discontent, the, the, the ones who are in debt, the ones who are desperate, the ones who are lonely, the outcasts of society were welcome. And they found refuge, they found community, they found love. We also see this, hopefully, we see it in God, but hopefully also in the church, that the, the, the house of God, right? The people of Jesus, the house of Jesus should be a place where people can come and find community, they can find love, they can find security, they can find peace, that that's what Jesus does for us and that's what the people of Jesus should offer those who are, who are outcasts on the fringe. So David takes his parents, they go to an area called Mizpah and they go to this area because David says, um, I need to figure out what I'm gonna do. I need to talk to God, right? And figure out what my next step is. But he wanted to find his parents, his mom and his dad, some, some asylum, some sanctuary so they would be safe. Listen, Saul was willing to kill his own son, so you know that he's more than willing to kill David's family if he can get to David. And so David takes his parents, gets them refuge in this area called Moab. He talks to the king of Moab who grants this asylum. More than likely, he grants the asylum because of David's lineage. I don't know if you guys knew this, David is the great-grandson of Ruth from the book of Ruth, right? That's in the Old Testament. So they are connected The king of Moab lets him in. And then David goes to an area called the stronghold. Now, this is very, very important. More than likely, the stronghold was a geographical oasis. It was a literal oasis. But there is a deeper implication to that. No one is exactly sure exactly where this particular oasis was, the stronghold, but this oasis is very, very important. David goes to this oasis, and the reason why they call it a stronghold is a stronghold, by definition, was a place of security. It was a place that one could go. They didn't have to worry about distraction. They didn't have to worry about being attacked by an enemy. 
They didn't have to worry about, um, I don't know, any obligations or anything like that. They could go and they could be quiet and they could talk to God and they could hear from God. Why is this important? And why are we stopping with this idea? The reason this is important is as crazy and distracting and chaotic as the world gets. Listen, each and every person that can hear me speak right now, including myself, we need to have a personal spot. If it's in your car driving out in the country, if it's in a closet at your house, if you have small children, it's the shower, that's the only place of privacy you have, wherever it may be, we need to have a place in our life where we intentionally get quiet with God, talk to God, and shut up for a second and listen to him, to know his will. This is why David writes in the Psalms, be still and know that he's God. We have to have this oasis place in our life. Whenever I hear people say, man, God's never spoken to me. I don't know the will of God. One, if you read your Bible, God is speaking to you. It's the word of God. Two, I would say, do you find the space? Do you prioritize the space in your life to talk to God and to be quiet and to listen to God? And if we will do that, God will speak to us. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but God has spoken to me a million times. And when you build that relationship with God, we learn to discern that still small voice of God. But we have to intentionally get quiet with him, intentionally get alone with him, right? Okay, so he was doing this, David, to learn the will of God. Now listen to me, David is in a secure spot. I would even think this is somewhat of a stronghold, our church. You need a personal version of this, but this is a place where we can come. You're around like-minded people who are on a journey. We may be in different points in that journey, but we're on a journey to learn more about God, more about ourselves. It's safe, it's comfortable. We're talking about the word of God. We can come together. There is community and, and, and security here. We call this not an auditorium. We call this a sanctuary because that's what this is. And so we have a version of that. And so David is in this sanctuary spot, a safe place, a bubble. And the prophet comes up to David and says, it's time to get out of the bubble. It's time to get out of the safe space and you gotta go back to Judah. It was hostile in Judah. Why? Because they wanted to kill him in Judah. But he had a job to do. Judah was the southern part of Israel and that's where Jerusalem was. And so the prophet goes, hey, look, I'm glad you got full. Listen to me, please listen to me this morning. I'm glad you're full of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad you know the will of God. Now it's time to go out into the volatile world and get to work. That's what the prophet was telling David. You can't stay in the bubble forever. You can't stay in the sanctuary forever. Why? Because there's a hurting world out there, David, and you have to go out and you have to do something about it. They need a leader. They need someone to tell them the truth about God. They need someone to, 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 to point them in the direction of righteousness. Do you see what I'm getting at this morning, church? That staying in the Christian bubble, only having relationships with people that think just like you, only listening to a certain kind of music or watching certain kinds of movies. Am I telling you to go out and just act like a fool out there? No but we need to make sure that we can have normal conversations with normal people 
that might not know Jesus Christ. And so if we all isolate ourselves to a Christian bubble, who is spreading the gospel of Christ to a lost world? Well, Corey, that could be dangerous. Find me one single solitary place in that Bible that says our faith is not dangerous. A young man walks up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you. I've even followed all the rules of the Torah. And Jesus says, okay, sell everything you have and let's go. Says the young man walked away disappointed. Corey, does that mean we sell everything? No, no, that was his idol. Your idol may be completely different. Another young man walked up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, but my father just passed away and I have to bury him. You know what Jesus' response was? Let the dead bury their dead. We're focused on the living. Another man walks up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you. He says, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of God has nowhere to lay his head tonight. You still want to go? It costs us something. It's active. Guys, quite frankly, it's a little dangerous. Corey, what do you mean dangerous? This is why Peter was crucified upside down. This is why Paul was decapitated. This is why Bartholomew was hacked to death by knives. This is why John, the one that wrote Revelation, was thrown into a pit of boiling oil before he was, he was, he was sent out to the island of Patmos in exile. This is why the Fox's Book of Martyrs has thousands and thousands of men and women who have given their lives for the call of Christ. It's not safe. It's not easy. And if you've been told that, I'm sorry, you've been lied to. It's not biblical. But here's the thing. Even though there is a volatile world out there that we are supposed to go out into, like Jesus said, like sheep among wolves, that we are to go out into this world to bring the light, Matthew chapter 5, that if we will trust him, if we will talk to him, if we will have a relationship with him, he will be with us and he will fulfill us. And do you guys know that even if someone chops your head off or crucifies you upside down like they did Peter, in the book of Revelation, it says there is a special VIP section for the martyrs. You get to hang out in your own special section until we all join you up there. God will take care of us. But this is not a safe faith. This is not an easy faith. We're not to remain forever in the sanctuary. We have to go out. Let's go back to the beginning though. And I'll harp on that a little bit more here in a second. When we find ourselves in desperate times, it is easy for us to scheme to find quick relief. And again, I'll, I'll point to myself this morning. I do this as a pastor. So we're, we're very blessed. We're very fortunate. We have a, a rapidly growing church. It's always been a rapidly growing church. And, um, you know, we, we do five services and you see it's pretty full. And this is December, which is our lowest month of the year. We got about 1,700 children that come to just this campus on the weekend. Lots of stuff going on. And sometimes we don't know what to do, right? We don't have a lot of money. We don't have any more space than this. We don't know what to do. So oftentimes I have this 10 foot by five foot whiteboard in my office and I get in there with leaders and we scribble a bunch of stuff and I write arrows and point things and circle things and do all this. And we, we try to concoct some kind of plan to, to fix the problem. Our intentions are good, but you know what hits me? I haven't prayed about it yet. And even if my intentions are good, my ways are always going to fall flat. So sometimes we can scheme to try to get temporary relief. But listen, if it's our ways, if we lean on our own understanding, we're destined to fall on our face every single time. And we're going to see it with David. He falls on his face a couple of times. 
Also, when we live in fear and we're not trusting in God, we will always compromise. We will compromise our beliefs. We will compromise our integrity. We will compromise biblical standards. And again, this may save us from a little bit of ridicule, but you know what Jesus says about that? If you deny me in this temporary, I will deny you in the eternal. Jesus said this, if you deny me on earth, I'll deny you in heaven. That's what he says. So we have to be careful. Well, I got some temporary relief, but what did it cost us long-term? We have to trust in him. I think the reason why we fail to trust in God, though, is we forget the dead giants of the past. God loves you. God has good plans for you. God works out all things for those who love him. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but we have to remember that God comes through for us. So if you are a Christian in this room, there should be a reputation of God's goodness that is established in our minds. And so this helps us stay faithful because when I come against, and you will inevitably come against another giant, that when we come up against another giant, and for a moment we're afraid though, we can step back and go, but man, God has taken care of bigger giants than that. He'll take care of me again, as long as we stick with him. But we have to have a reputation of the goodness of God in our minds. As Christians, we should know the character, the nature of God. And another thing is even when we do stupid things, even when we suck sometimes, right? And we do as, as humans. It's kind of humanity 101. We can often suck pretty bad. That even when we do, God is still quick to forgive. God is still merciful. God is still good. But we should never abuse that grace. We should never abuse the fact that God is good. Listen, I have a wonderful wife. She's darn near perfect. I'm serious. She's a wonderful person. Hopefully she's watching this right now. She was here last night, but just, you know, just to add it in there. She is a wonderful, wonderful woman. If I do something that upsets her, even if it's inadvertently that I do something that, that upsets her, that, that shouldn't, if, if she is gracious to me and goes, hey, I forgive you, I love you. In my mind, I wouldn't really be loving her if in my mind I, I would go, well, I wonder how often I can get away with that. I wonder how many times she'll forgive me. If I'm thinking like that, I really don't love that woman as much as I say I do. And it's the same thing with God. I can't tell you how many thousands of times over the years I'll call out someone's personal sin. I'm not trying to be rude or mean. I love them. Hey, I found out you're sleeping with your boyfriend. You know that you've been baptized. You claim to follow Christ. You can't do that. That's a sin, right? Well, but we all sin. We all make mistakes, but just because people sin doesn't give you a license to live in unrighteousness. That's not, that's not, that's not biblical. That is, that is an abuse of God's grace. That is wrong. The response we should have because of God's graciousness and mercy is it should want us to live more righteously for him. It should provoke us to repentance. It should provoke us to gratefulness. Thank you, God, so much for your mercy, right? Thank you so much for your grace, not the opposite. The last thing is this, and I want you to hear this. Every single one of us in this room needs an oasis. We need, we, we need some kind of personal sanctuary. Again, I'm one of those people, I love to hop in one of my old cars and I drive around town. When I say around town, not in town, because when I drive in town, I actually lose the Holy Spirit. I have to go outside of town a little bit. But I hop in, I hop in one of my old cars and I go for a ride. No radio, no nothing, I just drive. And I'll talk to God and that's a, that's a really wonderful time. 
for, for me to hear from him, for me to talk to him. There's other places I do that, but that's my favorite. You need something like that. You need, to, you need to walk through the woods. You need to take a walk around the block. You need to, I don't know, you need to sit outside on your porch, something. You need some kind of spot to where you can get quiet, you can talk to him, and then you can listen to him and cut out all the distractions. Leave your phone somewhere else. This, this sounds mean. Get away from your kids, get away from your spouse, get away from your television, get away from your radio, get away from all of it. You need that space to talk to God and to hear from, to hear from God. But here's the other thing, and I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not trying to be mean. Nowhere in that Bible does it say we are to be isolated from the world. We're not to be isolated from the world. We're to be insulated with the Holy Spirit so we can go into a dark world and bring the light. That's what we are called to do. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people, and listen guys, I'm not trying to be mean because I get it. I have two teenage girls. There's a lot of us Christians who wanna live in a bubble we want to live so isolated. Well, I don't want to put my kids out in that world. Well, if we don't put our kids out in that world, who do other kids hear Christ about? Like, who do they, who do they hear Jesus from besides my kids or your kids? When, if, if we don't go out and talk to people in the, in the workplace or talk to people in the marketplace or build some kind of bridge with people, who is going to share the truth with them? But we're so afraid of the world. And listen, we're not built to be afraid of the world. We have nothing to be afraid of in the world as long as we are insulated with the Holy Spirit of God. There was a time when some people come to Paul and they say, Paul, should we go to the market because they sacrifice some of the meat to other gods there? And Paul goes, well, you gotta eat. You know there's no other gods. Go buy the meat you need to get. He's basically saying, don't be afraid of a world that doesn't know Jesus because we are the ones that's supposed to be telling them about Jesus. And if we isolate ourselves from non-believers, who does that? If we isolate ourselves and if we're afraid of people who may think differently than us, who connects with them? What house do they have to go to for their oasis, for their sanctuary? And so this time of year, guys, when we say lots of words that we don't say that often and we really don't mean them, like hope and love and, and trust and all these different things that come up in December and they vanish instantly in January, especially next year, it's an election year where we're, you know, everyone shows their butt. Next year, are we gonna be the people to reach across the proverbial aisle? I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about ideologies, faith. And that doesn't mean we accept what other people do but we are trying to somehow get out into a dark, volatile world. It's scary, Corey. Only if you're not full of the Spirit. If we're full of the Spirit, though, we can walk in confidence. But we have to get out of the bubble. We have to get out of the bubble. Because there's a lot of hurt, dying people outside of the bubble. A lot of hurt, dying people inside of the bubble. And we need to love others. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, uh, I'm gonna invite you to a couple of things and then I'm gonna talk to you just for a second when your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. First is, if you have any questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike, if you're maybe not a believer or maybe you're a brand new believer and you just got questions, please come up here and talk to Mike. He'd love to talk with you. We have people on the right and left of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, please come up and you can get prayer for anything in your life. 
Last thing is, and here's what I want to talk to you about. There's communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. There's also communion on the majority of these posts in the middle. There's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We invite everyone to take communion, to remember the, 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 the sacrifice that Christ made for us, as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Now, here's what I'm gonna to talk to you about as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I know that not everyone takes communion in here, but I'm gonna ask you because it's, it's kind of gotten a little out of hand. I would ask that you be respectful for the ones who are taking communion in this room because it's very sacred to them. So if you decide to not take communion, we, we're, we're not officially dismissed until Kyle dismisses you. So me, me inviting you to take the step is not just an opportunity for everyone to, to, to jump out. Um, please be respectful of those around you. Please honor and, 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 and revere what's going on here as we take the body and blood of Christ and remember the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so I'm just gonna ask you, please, just, just be aware of those around you, okay? And respectful of those around you. Let me pray for you. Father God, I love you. Thank you so much, God, for everything you've done for us, Lord. I pray that we in this room are people that, of course, we need our sanctuary space. We need uh, to be in that, that, that bubble at times, God. We need the, the isolation where we can hear you and we can talk to you, God, both personally and even in environments like this. But Father, do not let us constantly stay in those places. Let us be full of your spirit so we can go out into the world and share your love and share your peace and share the truth, God, because you love all people, Lord, even lost people. And that we are to be your arms and your legs, your hands and your feet that go out into the world and that we are your ambassadors, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Keep your hand on all of us, God, as we go through this time of the year, Lord. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.